before we get started with our episode, I thought it would be good to take a moment to talk to you a little bit about our podcast. Show Up and Stay is a resource committed to helping people in the tricky stages of early recovery. We are not a treatment program, nor do we endorse any specific treatment program. The information provided is intended as a supplement for the care that you're already receiving. Withdrawal from alcohol can be deadly. Please do not attempt to quit without the care of a medical professional. We will have two types of podcast episodes. Our topic episodes pull from a broad range of my personal experience, experience of others in recovery. We'll also pull from a variety of resources, including evidence-based therapies and modalities that have proven helpful in long-term recovery plans. The information is intended to be a la carte, take it or leave it. We just want to help you see yourself in long-term recovery. The second type of episode will be our interview episodes. We'll be speaking with people who represent the wide range of the human experience. They'll be telling you about their experience in early recovery, hopefully providing some guidance, tips, and tricks with the aim to help you find yourself in these stories. Show Up and Stay podcast. I am your host, Deanne Knighton. This is the 15th time that I have attempted to record this introduction to the podcast, and I decided to try the approach of just stating it in the introduction because then I figured it would work sort of like that hiccup rule where it's like, hey, you have the hiccups, cool, I'll give you $100 if you hiccup again, and then of course you don't hiccup again. So then I thought, okay, I'll put this in. And then that means somehow I will record a take that I'm happy with. I feel like it's working so far, so there's a good chance this is going to be the one that makes it. I have just one job for you today. I'm going to need you to take out a piece of paper. You don't have to take out a piece of paper, but I do just want to remind you to stay sober and keep looking to accept yourself as much as you can. Um, That's all I'm going to ask other than to listen to this if you want to. You don't have to, but you can. I can tell you that there's some instances of me singing songs not very well throughout this not like full songs but i don't know so if you want to hang on for that that could be interesting show up and stay is a resource dedicated to helping people in early recovery in addition to this podcast we also have an application that we are in the process of building. We are working on some tools that will live inside of that application that will be helpful for this period of time as well. And one of those things that we're working on right now is our cravings tracker. Before we jump into our official topic of the day, we're going to kind of do like a little mini cheat topic. This is going to be a topic we're going to spend more time on since there's so many elements of it. And it's obviously a big enough one that it uh, is getting an entire tracker of its own within our application. A few things to know about cravings. Cravings are a wave. You can also use kind of the roller coaster analogy, but whatever it is that has that period of time in the beginning where you're going up, 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 you know, on the roller coaster, it's like that horrendous, like click, 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 click. Ugh. That gives me anxiety just making that noise on this podcast. Anyway, whichever analogy, 
works for you. Think of yourself just kind of in that upward cycle of the craving. It starts and what typically happens is it feels like it's growing. It feels like it's going to get bigger. The fear around that growth, the feeling of the expansion of it is the hardest part of the process. It's because of what it's doing mentally. It's basically tricking you into believing that this thing is never going to stop and that it's always going to feel this bad. All of the worst possible things that your mind can do to trick you. That all happens right there in those early clicks up the roller coaster and adds to your discomfort because it creates all of this anxiety in your body that accompanies whatever else you might be dealing with in that moment. And so just know that that is going to happen. Your job is to get to that apex of that wave or that roller coaster. Get to the apex so you can start to feel that descent because as soon as the descent starts, it may go up and down again. It may not feel resolved right away, but what it will do is just take the edge off enough that all of that cyclone of thought that is convincing you that this thing is never going to stop will start to dissipate and you'll know that you can make it through it. And so just focus on that. Focus on what you need to do to distract while the craving is sort of in that growth and expansion phase. One of the things that helps literally is what I just said, which is just being aware of it. It's also important to understand that there's a few elements that precede that craving. Start with the trigger. Trigger is a circumstance that's happening around you. Then you move into a thought about that trigger. So as soon as something happens that we perceive as negative or perceive as something that is going to cause distress for us in the future or to that circumstance in our mind, that thought is going to create an emotion. And typically speaking, cravings are generated out of negative emotions, but that is not always the case. Cravings can also come from positive emotion as well. But for the sake of this exercise, since it does seem to be the predominant of the two, the negative emotion that is generated is the piece that leads to the craving. It's that thing that makes you want to escape, run, numb, hide, whatever it is. Um, In my case, it was the thing that made me want to drink. In most circumstances, cravings last only a few minutes, and you do find that you'll start to have some control to how long they last. In the beginning, it doesn't feel like that. In the beginning, you do just have to ride this wave, so to speak. But there will be a period of time where it's going to start to feel more in control for you. It's still going to be frustrating. It's still going to create negative thoughts in your mind, but it just will slowly but surely get a little bit easier the further away you get from this. It does feel like something that's impossible to explain to anybody else because it's so very much yours. And I'm sorry that that's where you are in this process. And I just want you to know that it does get better. So in addition to understanding the roller coaster and the wave that I mentioned before, a few other things to know about cravings. They never typically last more than a few minutes. So you can have peace in knowing that that's the case. If you think about no negative or positive emotion lasts forever, that there is a fluidity to that, that we move between those. And as we get healthier, we'll move between those in a way that's less encumbered than it might feel like we're doing now. But as we do get to that point where we can move between those, you can start to realize that if you are not overly attached to hanging on to the positive emotions, that it also helps 
with the negative emotions as well, being able to let go of those more quickly and effectively. It's a really important Buddhist principle that was one of the things I learned early on. I participated in a refuge recovery group. And when I read the very brief statement about impermanence in refuge recovery, the book, it was one of my life-changing moments. I think that there's something about really simple principles at the right time that are like one of the most beautiful things. So a circumstance occurs, a thought about the circumstance creates a negative feeling, and then you want to drink. Trigger, thought, emotion, craving. That's the cycle. I'll give you a quick example around a craving just to kind of illustrate the idea. So let's just say that I felt like I should have done more work on show up and stay today and I didn't feel like I had enough time. I felt like maybe I wasted some time that I could have been giving to that project. It becomes a cycle of thoughts. It's not just the thought around the fact that I didn't put enough work in. It's really much deeper in that. It's these underlying thought processes of not being good enough, of never having enough time, never being able to be counted on, never being able to be a human or an adult or do things as well as other people in the world do them because something is, okay, it's actually not, I think, that out of the question for something that could be happening inside my brain. So welcome. Welcome to my brain. No wonder, because of the doomsday feeling that that generates, that I would feel like drinking might be a good idea, because who wants to feel all of that? It may be caused by somebody or something around you that starts your thought cycle, but it's just also really important to be aware of what happens to your thoughts when that situation occurs. Talking about things nobody cares. Aerosmith. So back to emotions. Trigger, thought, emotion, craving. Right there in that cycle, that pesky word emotion pops up. It's not the first part of the cycle, but it is a pivotal one. It may seem like a strange place to start, but I don't think it is. In my own journey, the growth and stabilization of my addiction all surrounded emotion. When I started my IOP program that I participated in for several months, one of the first exercises that they had us do when we would walk in to every group session was to describe in one word what our emotion and or feeling was for that day. Holy shit, I hated this question. I hated it even before this, but I really hated it then. For months, I made things up because the honest answer was I had no idea. This part of myself was something that I buried in shame because it felt wrong. It felt like there was something wrong with me. I would observe other people in in their own life experiences and definitely was in tune enough to know that something was off with me, but I didn't know how to deal with it. It's one of the secret joys of sobriety that if you can get past this shitstorm right now, that you are going to have mastered a tool 
that you can utilize in all other aspects of your life to improve your experience on this earth. It's not an overstatement. I 100% believe that to be true. Right now, your focus is on not drinking. It's about finding new ways to take the edge off just enough. It requires you to stay with some uncomfortable feelings, things that you literally thought would have killed you in the past. You still may have to find some distractions and there are still some ways to try to not feel the things you are feeling. And in the beginning, what we need to focus on is you protecting your sobriety. That is the most important part. And if that includes bringing in other things to distract you so that you stay sober, that's all you need to be thinking about right now. The forced staying is the ticket. It is the absolute worst, but I am telling you, this is the ticket. When it feels too big, I need you to give yourself just a little whisper. Stay, stay, stay. You're going to discover something. I really can't tell you what yet because I don't know. And consciously, you probably don't know either, but it's going to be worth it. So let's get into this. Ooh, do you want to hear another song about emotions? I get so emotional, baby, every time I think of you. Another diva. That was Whitney. (laughs) Wow. Divas like emotions, apparently. For 18 months, I was asked in various situations to name my feelings. And along with that would be asked by somebody to express or explain how that feeling or emotion felt in my body. I would lie. I did not get this. I had no idea. I did not want people to catch on. I knew I had emotions. Trust me, you can ask people who know me, not someone that would ever be described as lacking passion or emotion. The issue was the emotions were not regulated. They were misplaced, displaced. They were occurring at wrong times because I was doing all of the wrong things to suppress them. Typically, the best way at that time that I could describe emotion is I could identify that a negative emotion was taking place in my body. At minimum, I may not be able to name what it is, but I could say, that a negative emotion was happening inside my body. I typically didn't feel like I was allowed to feel that. I typically believed that if I gave into it, that then I was being weak or I would not be able to survive that. And so I didn't allow myself to give into that. But I could, if asked, say, I am feeling a negative emotion right now, usually. Although I will say to you that anxiety and depression were such a large part of my life for a long time that I actually got used to them in ways that are really kind of shocking. Let's summarize our key points for today. Lesson number one, start simply with negative or positive. If all you take away from today is that you start to be able to observe and identify yourself In a negative emotion, that alone is huge. Negative emotions are easier to recognize than positive emotion. Anxiety, depression, long-term substance use can really recalibrate your compass. This is normal that your compass is off. It is also normal that in early recovery, these feelings are going to be amplified. And this is really important. This work on emotions will feel even more challenging right now while your brain is trying to heal. 
awareness of positive and negative emotions, awareness that what is happening to you is normal, and an understanding that you do and can and will be able to find ways to control this emotional whirlwind in the future. Lesson number two, be aware of comorbidity. Comorbidity is defined as a simultaneous presence of two or more diseases or medical conditions in a patient. Mental health issues like depression and anxiety that have existed potentially before or alongside your addiction are not going to go away when you immediately get sober. In fact, more likely and more common, they're going to be worse. That sucks. Sorry to mention it to you. I hate telling you that, but I also believe in the fact that if you know that that's normal, it might be just enough to help you withstand the emotional pain that it'll cause. You may feel anxiety skyrocket. You may feel absolutely nothing. In my case, I felt absolutely nothing. I was depressed when I stopped drinking and I was depressed long after I stopped drinking. The depression that I had felt did not suddenly lift when I started my sobriety path. People talked about a pink cloud. I had no idea what that meant. In fact, my depression worsened. And is thus the reason that I was never able to answer the question about what my emotion was that day? Thanks for being here today. We're going to wrap up with the passage I mentioned from Noah Levine and Refuge Recovery. Everything is impermanent. Every pleasure, every pain, every body. The survival instincts crave permanence and control. The body wants pleasure to stay forever and pain to go away forever. Our survival instinct, which influences the body and mind, is really just the unrealistic expectation that life is always pleasurable and never painful. Our bodies naturally crave pleasure, which we think equals happiness, safety, and survival. We hate pain, which we think equals unhappiness and death. To recover, we must understand and accept impermanence. We must replace the reactive survival instinct of clinging, grasping, and attachment with the wise response of non-clinging non-attachment and compassion. Next time we connect will be part two of two in our emotion series. If you happen to feel the roller coaster, just as joy does not last, so true is it for pain. We're here for you. Be well.